You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. back with an all-new episode of Keep It. We're back to normal now. Things do, yes. We're in ordinary time, as they say in Christianity. Yeah. Do you remember the time, as Michael Jackson once said? Oh, yeah. That's during the time when he had beautiful supermodel-like hair. Like he looked, And he, he looked like Janine Garofalo in the face, but he had the hair of like... <laughs> Porcelain skin, too. Yes, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And he always, that was at the point when he started wearing gold every time. You never saw him not in gold. Yeah. I am thinking about Michael now because it's Halloween. Right. And I feel like the moratorium on not listening to Michael Jackson music or at least being very loudly performative about not listening to Michael Jackson music that people do every time you're at a party and a song comes over? on. Do you think it's over? Well, it's thriller season, yeah. Aida. So that's the one excuse that we have to Yeah. Up. Okay. People are playing thriller. What's that meme with the fuck those kids? Fuck <laughs> them kids. <laughs> Just for a week. <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> it's Halloween. True enough. Spooky season, as they call it. <laughs> Murder Girl Autumn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, everybody gets to look like Billie Eilish, not just Billie Eilish. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sookie, or whatever the girl is from The Ring. Oh, is that her name? Samara. Samara. Sorry. Sookie is... From True Blood? Yes. That demon. (laughs) (laughs) The Halloween season, though, has me thinking about horror movies. Of course. Obviously. And I'm just wondering what y'all's favorite horror movies are. I would start with Silence of the Lambs for my smart answer because we love Jodie Foster. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much I love Jodie Foster, but I told you guys I'm going back and watching all these old movies that I'd never Mm -hmm. seen before. And Silence of the Lambs, it rocked me. Like, I couldn't sleep for about a week. So that one is the first one. I love I any love movie that. also where just a woman is trembling in my face the entire yeah. time. She's mm-hmm. like looking right into camera and being like, I'm so nervous, Dr. Lecter. And she's such a little waif and she's mousy and it was just cute. Yes. It was, she's already kind of spooky. In Silence of the Lambs is also whatever she says to people when they're talking about her sexuality. That's right. Yeah. You will not find a more <laughs> private person than a celebrity lesbian. Jodie is a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Except she's so quiet. my favorite Jodie Foster moment is... What was it? A Golden Globes that speech, speech, yeah, where she talks about maybe being a lesbian, but also talks about how she wants people to mind their business while talking about it at an award show. Correct. And then she also, instead of coming out, tells the woman she's allegedly in a relationship with, "Thanks for being my ski buddy" or something. In a way, that was like super coming out. If That's you ask me, the gayest me. thing I've ever heard. In That's my what life. I'm saying. Ski so. buddy. <laughs> what? <laughs> I remember when I in the seventies <clears throat> you could be arrested for being a ski buddy. <laughs> ski buddy. My mother would always see me hanging out with my best friend in my room with the door closed, and she'd be like, "Are you two skiing?" <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so after Silence of the Lambs, I would say, and this is only this counts as one. I don't want any flack for this. Halloween Town one, two, and three. So that's all a trilogy. It all comes together. I am a I'm a Marnie girl. Marnie raised me, so that crossover too. She the crossover from mortal to like the undead. Genius. Stephen Hawking could never. Is this also something that went on? So it got more paranormal as the story went on. I remember the first one. It starred Kimberly J. Brown, correct? And Debbie Reynolds. I hate how much you know about things. I love (laughs) Halloween Town. Lewis and I famously do not like Hocus Pocus. I was just about to say that for my third one. Yikes. But I do stand Halloween Town. It did what it had to do. I love Debbie Reynolds taking projects in whatever, 1998 or whatever that was. So I have to rescind Hocus Pocus? Or can I still like Reynolds? No, you can Pocus. fight for it, but just know that I'll be very testy. Okay. Your turn then. Oh, okay. Um, my favorite um, Halloween movie of all time is the original Halloween for a couple of reasons. One, truly nothing is scarier than babysitting. Have you ever babysat before? What am I doing there? It's really crazy. <laughs> it's I don't, I don't know anything about this kid. The or- concept of having 
some teenager watching your children. Right. This became an institution. (laughs) We're so stupid. And then um, secondly, I just think it's a movie where we don't have movies like this anymore. Because it's so lo-fi, there's a particular feel about the movie, namely the parts that are suburban. It feels like such an ordinary day in an actual small town. And it, in an uncinematic way. And it just reminds me of where you grew up and the kind of creepiness that comes with walking down the street in a suburb. Like, why is it so quiet? Is there something I don't know? Could somebody be watching me? It's an easy place to be paranoid. And I think Halloween really gets that right. Still was, figuring out how he can run that fast, as we all are. But yeah. <laughs> it was really disturbing for me when I moved to L.A. and discovered that the streets were just Random streets in Los Angeles. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But so many streets in L.A. actually look like suburban streets. No, that's in a way what people don't understand about L.A. is that you never feel like you're in a city. You're always in things that could be a neighborhood, but really it's just one avenue that looks like that. Mm-hmm. And then it's completely detached from what's around it. Uh, I would say in the line of Halloween, my favorite horror movie of all time is the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. Love it. I love, first of all, hot people with psychological problems. That's what I'm all about. <laughs> Lastly, what are your favorite underrated horror movies? God, okay, recently I, I have a, one of my best friends from home, Elise, who I brought up before in this context, is obsessed with horror Elise movies. Neal? Not the same, no. <laughs> she had me watch um, Black Christmas from the 70s, which is just a, um, actually sort of does feel like Halloween in certain ways. It's like, you know, the spookiness of a house, things like that. And college town, and it really gets to the core of that period in college where everyone's sort of gone home for the holidays. Yeah. But if you've been one of the last people on campus, it feels empty and weird. Right, right. Um, specifically, this movie has um, an X factor that should be pointed out. Margot Kidder, who would eventually play Lois Lane in the Superman movies, is in this movie. And she's a very unusual character and at one point is simply drinking beer at a police station. And I've got to tell you, (laughs) among things that should be gift forever, the internet has let me down in this regard. She has such a fabulous 70s look, like pale, but like dark hair and and, and moody. I know, it's just like there's no one secretly like her. Like we, Deborah Winger sort of, Mm -hmm. that kind of vibe. Truly a style icon in Superman. Yes. Oh, yeah. Also, weird casting. She had such a weird take on that character. You would have never, if you watched the auditions for that role, and there's a bunch of them, including Leslie Ann Warren from Clue, um, tried out for uh, Lois Lane. You'll see it's like an unusual fit. Um, I think mine. Did you guys watch The Babadook? Yeah. Yes. Did you watch it? Okay, I don't know if it is underrated, but it's still one that I think didn't get as much appreciation as it probably should have gotten. I'm not scared by movies, like the jump scares and the spooky, spooky face comes out, boo, bam, whatever. That doesn't terrify me as much as like a mental thriller. Yeah. The Babadook. And um, the Babadook makes me, because it's the relationship between the mother and the son, and you get to see him like struggling and trying to figure things out. And that sound, the Babadook, Duke, Duke, Duke <laughs> I hear that when I'm about to have a panic attack. <laughs> like that, that has stayed with me. So something that I can still remember from the past, mm-hmm. underrated. And I think that because it wasn't such a scary film, it doesn't get, it doesn't, it's not upheld like a horror film. No, I feel like most of the conversation around the Babadook was just gays calling it a gay icon. Yes. Right, right. And, and there's not really any conversation about the actual merits of the movie. Right, no, it immediately turned to a conversation of how can we get the Babadook for our pride parade? <laughs> I'm going to go as the Babadook for Halloween, but I'm going to go as the Babadonk, and it's just, I put, like, ass pads in, but I dress up the Babadook. <laughs> Honky-tonk, Photos. Babadook. <laughs> Photos to come. Photos to come. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> what are going to do with all that Baba, all that Baba <laughs> in that trunk? In that donk, come on. <laughs> I would say that my underrated is probably... Always a fight between two. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell. Get this. I have never seen this, and my sister-in-law maybe talks to me about nothing more than seeing that movie. I should really well, see it. Also, what, year did, do you, do you, what year did it come out? Do like you know? 2009? Okay. Yeah, between 2009 and 2011. Mm-hmm. But also our mutual friend, Andy Heron, fucking loves Drag Me to Hell. Imagine me going to see something because Andy went and saw it. <laughs> <laughs> this is our friend who won Big Brother. Follow his Twitter. You'll see what I mean. Uh, well, I would say that it's a really fucking fantastic movie and sort of Sisyphean in a way because it's basically the plot of it is Alison Lohman works at a bank and this older woman comes in for a loan and basically the boss is like, you can't give this old woman this loan and she has to <laughs> deny her. And it's one of those things where it's completely not Alison's fault. She's doing her fucking job, but then she's cursed and 
the, basically the rest of the movie is her trying to escape this fucking curse. And it is so funny because it's Sam Raimi and mm-hmm. he's so fucking funny. Um, and it's so twisted. And I think it's just really, really an underrated, over the top horror movie. And in that line, another one I would say is 2015's Crimson Peak. Oh, uh, an underrated Chastain jam. Yes, uh, from Guillermo del Toro. And I think it is still my favorite film of it. Interesting, I'm thinking. Yeah, The Shape of Water has not stuck with me the way I thought it would. Mm -hmm. Shape of Water, fucking fish. Right. Um, I'm a fan. (laughs) I hope we nominate Octavia five more times for roles where she looks at the main character and says, you have an amphibian fucking problem. (laughs) (laughs) Can we get her in a remake of Splash? (laughs) (laughs) And and just say, something is wrong with this. You fucking that mermaid? (laughs) 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 all right we have a packed episode this week Mm -hmm. we are going to be talking about that demon speaking of halloween harvey weinstein is back showing up to get comedy because that's what he needs right now (laughs) and kadia west has a new album out oh you don't say yeah Mm. and we are still for some reason talking about game of thrones help us that show went off the air 17 years ago (laughs) (laughs) anyway we'll be right back Everyone's favorite ghoul, Harvey Weinstein, is back. He has been spending the final months before his rape trial revisiting some of his favorite NYC haunts. He's been spotted at the restaurant Capriani, just chilling, having food. I disagree with him needing nourishment. Yeah, he's decaying and withering. What is he feeding? Right, right. Get on it. Although, I really do not want a postmate having to go anywhere near Harvey's home. Wow, that's even tougher. You're right. I don't know what the solution to this is. Let's starve him out. We could just starve starve him out. out, He gets nothing. Or just have someone throw throw bread through his his (laughs) window. Yeah, a sleeve of crackers or something. Harvey, here's our baguette. (laughs) (laughs) But last... (laughs) Last Wednesday, the disgraced entertainment mogul showed up at an event put on by Actors Hour at New York's Downtime Bar. There, he was confronted by at least three women, Amber Rollo, Zoe Stuckless, and comedian Kelly Bachman, whose takedown went viral last week. Did we all see Kelly's stand-up? takedown of him. I thought there were three jokes in a row there that were very strong. Her I set laughed was very hard. Her yes. set was really good. And the fact that no one was laughing was ridiculous because those were very well thought out jokes and you know she just wrote them while sitting in a booth waiting to go up, you know? Right. right. And that takes ability. Especially under the pressure of this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle looking <laughs> awful person is sitting right there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So he was at this comedy show and basically just sitting at a table with some friends, as you do. Uh, I already have six questions. <laughs> I uh, need to take in comedy with my friend Harvey Weinstein, said somebody, apparently. Right. And comedian Kelly Bachman told The Hollywood Reporter that basically it felt like this sad attempt to rekindle his old life. And when she went up there, her set cracked me the fuck up. Mm-hmm. First of all, she said, do we know what that is? It's a Freddy Krueger in the room, if you will. Uh, I didn't know we had to bring our own mace and rape whistles to actors hour. <laughs> Ding. Yeah. Uh, and then basically some man in the audience shouts at her to shut up. And she responds by saying, this kills at group therapy for rape survivors. And a few <laughs> women in the audience cheered. And then she says, I have been raped, surprisingly not by anyone in this room, but I've never gotten to confront those guys. So just a general fuck you. Amazing. Even the first half of that sentence was mm-hmm. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly yeah. not by anybody in this room. I find that uh, uh, a whimsical rape yeah. joke. Yeah. My, when, right before she went on stage, she posted to her story, because I followed her on Instagram. She posted, Harvey Weinstein's at this uh, comedy event I'm doing. Should I talk about, and it was a poll. She's like, should I talk about his rapes or my rapes? <laughs> 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 Voted his rapes. <laughs> and she did it. And we don't have any word on who the guy was who shouted for her to shut up? No, we don't really have any idea who all these people are, but a bunch of the people in the crowd were basically on his side. And basically, Weinstein didn't really say anything, but he also had some female companions with him. 
And a lot of them were just sort of upset that he was being inconvenienced. There was a statement from his rep given to Hollywood Reporter that said, Harvey Weinstein was out with friends enjoying the music and trying to find some solace in his life that has been turned upside down. The scene was uncalled for, downright rude, and an example of how due process today is being squashed by the public, trying to take it away in the courtroom, too. Sorry, I, I, I couldn't concentrate because I was thinking about how his life is upside down now. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Diana Ross sang it best. <laughs> <laughs> Soundtrack to his life. What a pathetic statement. Saying nothing. I mean, like, literally saying... A lot of people have credibly accused him of something atrocious. Mm-hmm. Think of him during this time. Right. And also, the idea that public opinion is destroying due process. You're allowed to think that someone is a rich person. I was going to mm-hmm. say, you, somebody could be acquitted of a crime, and you can still think they suck. Right. You know what? I also saw in the videos that Zoe, right, she got kicked out for making a scene about it like she was screaming and saying like no one's gonna do anything about the fact that there's a rapist sitting right here in this booth and security at the end of the video ushers her out Mm -hmm. anyway uh the person who runs the performance venue actors hour has apologized and said that um zoe also should not have been removed but you know it feels like it's too little too late right yeah also i mean i don't mean to address Harvey Weinstein in any way, but he could have just been like, whatever, let them say what they want. Like, who are these other people sticking up for him? Mm -hmm. I mean, Harvey didn't seem to have done anything in the videos that I saw. It was all the people around him. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Like, creating that he's not, he's indefensible, but these people that still hang out with him are the ones that are going to quick to defend him. Right, but there's this idea now that this is the movement for him to make a comeback, Right. Because he's already being welcomed back into New York society. Here are people randomly defending him, right? By somebody. Right, by someone. Are there plants in the crowd? I mean, I'm thinking of Ronan Farrow's book. It's possible. And I'm (laughs) (laughs) thinking... Ronan was hiding. (laughs) I'm thinking that, you know, all it's going to take is for Harvey to put some money behind some film that gets nominated for an Oscar or makes a ton of money. And I feel like people would welcome him back. They welcome... Mel Gibson back. You have Roman Polanski still out here making mm-hmm. things. You threatening uh, the idea that he could still haunt my beloved Oscars <laughs> is one of the most insidious things you've ever said. And I don't have to take it sitting here. I mean, Mel Gibson did Hacksaw Ridge. That's right. All right. We, we really didn't think twice about that. Yeah. Andrew uh, Garfield was just in that shit. Right. And well, I feel like it happened mostly because he wasn't in it, right? Correct. He just directed it. And then we nominated him for director, didn't we? Yeah. Good Lord, us. Yeah. That was a horrific Oscar season. Oh, God. And it was such a, like, hallmarky movie. It reminded me of the Faith Hill video for There You'll Be from Pearl Harbor. Wonderful song. Cheesy video. Anyway. <laughs> Aside from the whole Weinsteinness of it all, too, I really hate that the rep for Weinstein said that the scene was uncalled for and downright rude because it reminds me of the entire dumb discourse that's been happening this week about booing the president. Oh, my God. God. Well, that's like you're telling, what, 50,000 people or so to not be so rude? Right. Uh, And what was it? Like, Joe Scarborough and a bunch of other people have just been like, listen, we cannot boo the president at baseball games. What if his children had been there? What if Barron had been there? Guys, I'm I'm just going to suggest that if you get to actually boo the president in person, it will add a week or so to your life. I think I think it's a health benefit sort of thing. Like you do it do it for yourself. It's like ginseng or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that doing stuff like booing Trump at the World Series, I think that things like publicly calling out Harvey Weinstein are things that we really should be doing. And when we talk about actionable things that we could do in the face of all this you know last year it was a lot of conjecture basically because like hoping that he would go to trial you know mm-hmm. hoping that something would happen and i feel like you really just need people who was like fuck it fuck you what are you doing here yeah because if you don't have people doing that then you have you know email blasts from people like louis ck announcing their new tour Correct. Also, I just want to say about the Trump at the baseball game thing. That, to me, struck me as a weirdly out-of-line step for him. Like, how would he have not known that he would be booed at that game? I feel like his whole gambit is controlling 
the image of him being applauded at all times. But obviously, he wouldn't be at that game. That mm-hmm. feels so strange to me. I, I can't make heads or tails of it. And you know I'm usually on his team and understanding yeah, everything 100%. he does and the rationale behind it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It almost seems like it was calculated in the way that you remember when Ivanko was on JetBlue. Oh, right, right. And was, and was quote, unquote, attacked by, like, a man telling her that she was awful. They're there. Yeah. You know, I feel like they do these things to get people on their side. And, of course, they know that because we're in this weird sort of PC culture war (laughs) where everyone wants to fall over themselves to sort of course correct because the president is trash and they feel like we need to police ourselves to make sure we're somehow, I don't know, better than them. You have people not even at fucking Fox News, people who should be on our side saying, you know, it's bad to boo the president and that we need to have some sort of decorum for the president of the United States. Or it's the same thing as people saying we need to have decorum at a comedy event and not boo Harvey Weinstein because due process. See, I mean, I think booing the president is one, fun, and two, borderline erotic. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) It's that same thing to me with Harvey Weinstein that if you violate someone's body, when you go out into society, we can violate your privacy. That's how we feel. If we feel like that's something that we want to condemn. So it's the same thing. It's an equation. It's like your behavior will equal out to what we're going to treat you like. So I don't. I just don't. We could say, hey, Trump, it's not booing you. It's just like spooky season. We're just like, boo. <laughs> boo, Trump. What do you mean decorum? In court, we can claim that. Yes, yeah. that we were all just spooky ghosts. <laughs> it was Halloween. We were like, boo! <laughs> Trick or treat. You want a Butterfinger? <laughs> but you are going to go see Louis C.K.'s new tour, correct? Absolutely. I saw him I- at Skankfest. Oh, yeah? Recently? On accident. Yeah, but he has a very specific audience now, so he'll probably still sell out and do really well. Skanks? His- Male yeah. skanks? Exactly. Ugh. <laughs> What's the podcast I... called? Legion of Skanks, I think. Do you guys know about this podcast? I don't know why no. I qualified male skanks. <laughs> right. Yeah. Skanks. I feel like, I feel like skanks are should only be men. Does that insinuate a woman? Skanks? I don't know. I feel like skank was originally a word to describe a woman, wasn't it? Skank. You skitch. What does skank actually mean? Right. Yeah. It does feel like a particular nineties brand of whoer. It sounds like a verb, like to skank out. Yeah. Or skank yourself out. I'm not sure. And a, pr- a dance that teens would do in school. Do the skanky for. leg. Yeah. Do the yeah. skanky leg. Yeah, it feels like a word. Like it feels like a word my grandmother used to say a lot. She also used to say broad and hussy. Hussy. That floozy. Hussy. Yes. Skank. Broad. Hussy. Floozy. Mm-hmm. Skank. Usually about a fast food worker who got her order wrong. <laughs> well, so a woman minding her absolute business. <laughs> it's the definitive. Um, evocation of Hussey when Dionne Warwick is on Celebrity Apprentice and I believe she said it about whatever the random supermodel contestant is they always have on Celebrity Apprentice. Mm -hmm. I want to say she said it about that person but Dionne Warwick with that sort of smoky aged wood voice Calling you a hussy. I mean, that should be on your mind when you go to the grave. That'll knock some chastity into you. That's what, <laughs> yes. That'll knock purity right into you. Uh, but what is Skankfest again? Skankfest is, okay, so there's a podcast called Legion of Skanks, and I shouldn't even be speaking on this because I don't know too much about it. But they <laughs> um, are like a bunch of men who do this podcast kind of for the, like, um, I, w- I want to say the conservative kind of like biker type guys. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, all right. And may- mm-hmm. like, maybe the biker mice from Mars. Yes, sure. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, you know, they're kind of the alternative rough and tough PBR craft kind of beer guys. And so uh, Louis C.K. shows up there and that's what was back in New York in early sometime earlier this year. And he does really well and he has his audience and he's making jokes about like, Remember when the tape leaked earlier this year, the audio of right. the stand-up set? And it was just a, like jokes about they, them, and how gra- grammatically that's incorrect. Like that mm-hmm. stupid argument that old people make. So he has his audience, and it's kind of ignorant men and women who are like middle America that's spread out to the coast. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's very hyper-specific, but he'll do fine. So, yeah, Skankfest, check it out. There, he really doesn't <laughs> seem to have fans who are, who are more emboldened now. You know what I mean? Like they, they become, it becomes like a, a rallying cry to sort of defend him in a way. They don't feel like he did enough to warrant being quote unquote canceled. Mm-hmm. I do always wonder the hypocrisy and the conundrum of that, right? Because you have people like on the right, like a Laura Ingraham or something, who I accidentally caught 
five minutes of her show in my hotel room in New York last week, and it was devastatingly awful. Uh, she just like taunts the camera and is shaking her, you know, bobblehead. She's like Amanda Wingfield at the end of Glass Menagerie. Wow, uh, vivid for me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just ranting about PC culture and the liberals and too much, which is funny because people like Louis C.K. Rant about PC culture and um, pronouns and about you know, how comedy isn't safe anymore, mm-hmm. right? And you wonder why those never intersect. Right, right, right. right. Like, like, why isn't Louis C.K. then on Fox News or something, right? They still weirdly exist in this space where, oh, we're liberals, but we also agree with these conservative talking points, which is just very weird to me because those conservatives will also then call out people like Louis C.K. when they're defending their own sexual predators, right? They'll be like, mm-hmm. well, Hollywood should focus on the Louis C.K.'s instead of coming after Roy Moore or something. Right. Do you know what uh, specifically the women on Fox News remind me of? This is a very specific internet memory. Okay, let's Do see. you know what pay piggies are? Yes. Yeah. Do you, okay, thank you, Aida. First of all, no one has ever said yes faster. Yeah. Se- <laughs> second maybe of I'm all, a little too aware. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's this whole culture. I don't. I feel like maybe it's a little bit more underground if it exists now. But you, women, I think men would do it too. But I think of women with, uh, specifically. They would say like, "Hey, my little pay piggies, I want this expensive pair of shoes." This oh, financial week. domination. Correct. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then the next week, they're like. Well, let's see if my little pay piggies turned up. And then they open a little gift and there are the shoes and they're filled with money because somebody actually mm-hmm. went out and got them. It feels like this weird like taunting, yeah, a taunting domination type thing in order to make you feel like you're getting information when really it's like this pseudo contentious sexual energy. I, I don't just know. think of old white men drinking beer in Barcalongers, no longer having sex with their wives, getting turned on by Laura Ingraham just yeah. yelling at the liberals. Yeah, they're like right. they're like, who needs Viagra? That's how you get it up. Oh good lord, I couldn't be sicker. Okay. <laughs> Thank you guys for knowing about Pay Piggies. Look it up online. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) When we're back, Kanye West has a new album, and it's about Jesus. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire... Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. 
Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the Black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. On Jesus is King, his ninth album, Kanye finds God. Well, he'd already found him, to be honest, because if you are a Kanye fan, a lot of his music has been about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus Walks, for instance, was a club bop about Jesus. Oddly enough. Yeah, a lot of his songs have an exulty vibe. Right. Yeah. Uh, But this album finally feels like one where he is praising Jesus and sort of submitting to him instead of before it seemed like he was constantly elevating himself to be on the same level as God, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus Walks was about how he couldn't play Christian music and get it on the radio, and then all of a sudden it morphed into, I am a God on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And now we've snapped back into something completely new. It's late registration in Sunday school. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's come after months of touring the country with his Sunday service church revival. uh, And he has finally released this profanity-free album. Boo. (laughs) No wonder it's so short. (laughs) Kanye don't got a rap in his song to sell records, but fuck him and fuck you too, (laughs) as Eminem said. (laughs) Um... Yeah, he seems like a born-again Christian now, which is very weird because it came after his pro-Trump and slavery was a choice comments, but maybe it makes sense because evangelical Christians have always been monsters. (laughs) True enough. (laughs) This is disgusting. (laughs) I listened to the album and I, I gave it a thorough listen, track by track. I loved the production on a lot of the songs. I really did. And you can't say no to gospel. Gospel just sounds beautiful right off top. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't like is immediately after I got online and everyone who was supporting it was like the Donald Trump types and like all my and all my black friends and now I have to check up on like are you okay like yeah. is this really mm-hmm. and if Trump but what Trump says about it is like oh wow so cool and daring like it's so it's he's fearless for releasing this Nick has been making music about Jesus <laughs> forever since, from the jump forever but I do want to know how you go from. I am a god, hurry up with my damn croissants to Jesus is king. You know, like, how do you make that transition? Well, well, especially be... since, I mean, like, even though he does have Jesus-tinged uh, songs in his catalog or a feeling about exaltation, <laughs> I also feel like he's somewhat obsessed with announcing he's an out-of-the-box thinker and how he is snapped mm-hmm. back into the very box, yeah. the, the first box, the Jesus box, Christ. Yes. It's uh, a no for me. It's a no. <laughs> the album? Yeah, I think the whole album. I like Salah, the one track, and that's it. I mm. would say, to me, there are interesting instincts that all feel stunted because it's so short. Yes, mm-hmm. I feel that I actually quite enjoy this album, particularly more so than his last album, Yay, which was pointless. That one was it, it was just as short. I think there was one good song on it. I don't even remember which one it was. Nebraska, maybe? But <laughs> uh, this one at least has some songs that I really sort of appreciate and some highlights, but it feels rushed. It feels mm-hmm. hurried. And if you watch any interview with him where he is more manic and frantic, it feels like he is reaching a point where it's you're making this and then you just sort of have to get it out and mm-hmm. there's not the thought and care that went into something like 808 and Heartbreaks or My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. You know, like lush albums with a lot to say, with a lot of tracks on them, <laughs> more than like 
25 minutes yeah. uh, and songs with clear through lines and stories. So many of these songs just don't even make sense. God is his song where he is constantly talking about like what God is to him. It feels like a children's nursery rhyme. Right. And Closed on Sundays is maybe the worst song that Kanye West has ever made. I think you are absolutely right. Just Close the metaphor Sundays, itself is so you're stupid. My Chick-fil-A. Right. It's a Chick-fil-A extended that the, metaphor. That's that song with the you're my number one with lemonade. Yeah. Is that the like, one? <laughs> like leave the fucking Chick-fil-A jokes to Popeyes, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gross. He's doing corporate Twitter jokes now. <laughs> also, um, there's an interview that he has after Close on Sunday that really highlights how nothing he says jives with the actual songs that he's made. Because Close on Sundays, mm-hmm. he talks about how you need to get off Instagram. And he has this whole interview where he says, like, he apologizes for saying the word bitch in it, in the interview. Uh-huh, because, you know, Jesus. Is that pure now? I know, right? But he says, after you talked about fuck it, 40 white bitches, uh-huh, in, what was the song? Uh, Champagne Witches. What song is that? White bitches. I mean, the shit is fucking ridiculous. So appalled. It It was so appalled. Okay, there you go. Yes. Uh, After you've talked about that, now he can't say bitch, but he said, Instagram got yo bitch. You know, they do it for the gram before they do it for you. And he didn't have anything in response to say when the interviewer was like, well, aren't you married into a family that thrives on Instagram? Only exists on Instagram. Right. The only, the only reason they have a career is because Chris recorded that sex tape for them. <laughs> <laughs> Which was so nice of her. Yeah. <laughs> also, do you know what this album reminds me of a little bit? This is like a weird, weird pull. But about 15 years ago, Bjork made an album that was all vocals. There's no, not an instrument on it, and it's produced in a way... like Musically, it's interesting because voices are made to sound like instruments on it. There's like a beatboxy quality to it. And like this album that creates a kind of gospel feeling, right? Like, because there's a big chorus of voices all the time. But at the same time, that feels like one idea and not sustainable for, you know, a dozen tracks or 10 tracks or however many are on this album. So it ends up in retrospect feeling like a half thought, having way less gravitas than anything else he's ever done as an artist. unfinished. It it makes me actually think that I wish he did, I may have said this before, I wish that he did theater because... Myself as a writer and having worked in theater, I know that I was constantly sort of rewriting things until, you know, the day that the show bows. And then even after that, you edit things. Uh, So many playwrights do that. You know, you edit based on performances and based on audience reactions. And I think that he should be working in a field where that's more allowed. I mean, I remember when he came out with The Life of Pablo. Mm -hmm. And was it like, how many times did he redo wolves oh on yeah it, you know re-edits. and it's like we're in an era was like i mean guess now in digital era you can fucking do it but mm-hmm. it just feels weird to be releasing an album and then tinkering with it and pulling a song and putting another song back out there and i'm like work with something where you can gauge the audience reactions or something make a musical yeah. i don't know do you think he has an instinct to edit and re-edit generally speaking though i can't picture him picking up a red pen and being like let's go over this carefully once again yeah. like i feel like he's pretty self-satisfied I generally I speaking think... <laughs> no yeah. I, I don't i don't think in the sense of making it you know the best that it can be but i think that his mind is constantly editing things in his head thinking that didn't work thinking i needed to sound like this you know and i think that that's why the album feels hurried but also, I just want to say that because this album is about his relationship with religion or Jesus or whatever, there still is an unsettling feeling of, is this just related to mania? You know, there's yeah. like, you know, the connection with a higher power slash I was the higher power, whatever. It just, it, it ultimately feels worrying to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say that the two highlights of the album for me were Follow God, which has a lovely beat. Uh, <laughs> and it samples the whole truth. Can You Lose by Following God? And it basically is his flow from Throw Some D's, the remix. So that's why I like it. And uh, I also think that, you know, for a Jesus album, that Kenny G sax solo that's, is, a, is a little horny. We're living. We're living. <laughs> that's the only thing that I really liked about this album is we got we got a Kirk Franklin back and we got mm. Kenny G back. So we got clips alive, back. All together at once. Yes. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So there are some Who, benefits. And Malice's name, by the way, is now No Malice because Malice found Jesus God too. King. Wow. 
Wow, <laughs> look at the turnover. That's character building. Wow, look at that. All these born again Christians just joining each other, which is. I wish they'd stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny too because this is happening so publicly, and it's come from so many you know public meltdowns that he's had. But it's not uncommon for like rap or R and B singers to find God later. You know, I mean, like many of the artists that we like sort of had that happen in them. Nope. Donna Summer, for instance. Oh, my God. Um, like, renounced later in her life all her sexual songs that she did when she found Christ. And, and I've got news for you. Those are some of the better songs. Yeah, of so, course. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I keep thinking specifically of Prince, mm-hmm. who in the 90s, you know, I became a Jehovah's Witness. And suddenly we had this catalog of songs we were supposed to pretend didn't exist. And I was like, your debut single was called Soft and Wet. Let's think about <laughs> that for a minute. <laughs> Kanye realizes he's eking toward death, so he needs to have a faith system now. Mm. I feel like that's what happens. And also, oh, you someone, think it's like a midlife crisis yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, and I feel like someone who is, like, I am bipolar, and when I have moments of mania, I tend to get very obsessive, and I tend to get very fixated on a certain thing. I need Kanye to find the devil again, because I want, I want a good album. I need him to find <laughs> Satan. <laughs> devil in a New Dress there is go. one of my favorite Kanye songs, and it's about... Jesus as well, but mm-hmm. it's also sexy and just has a mood. I so much of that Prince era, the Donna Summer era, like this era. I feel like, unfortunately, when some of these artists, quote unquote, find Jesus, do they find the music? No. Like, do they mm-hmm. lose the producers that they had? Uh, <laughs> because yeah, apparently Jesus is on the fence about hooks. Right. Because where do they go? <laughs> right. Because the people who've always been in the tradition, you know, you think of like. Whitney Houston growing up in the church, you know, it's like you think of Aretha Franklin's gospel album. Mm-hmm. It's like that shit sounds good, yeah, because like, they know what they're doing and they're also respecting the genre. And I also just largely feel like Kanye has no respect for the genre of gospel because the way he talks about Jesus now is as if he took one course in college of theology and theology now, 101 right and now he just that nigga wants to be everywhere being like I know Jesus I know yeah. Jesus do you it's so overt I don't like it I remember when Chance the Rapper released Coloring Book if you listen to it I, w- I went to his concert and I was like whoa I guess I am a Christian now like he somehow <laughs> can convolute it and make it fun and package it in a way where it's enticing Kanye did not do that Kanye made it so like in your face and just surface level superficial Christianity mm-hmm. it just Ugh. Strikes me as a hard re-listen too. I mean, like the order of the songs for one thing is jarring. Two, there's an asthmatic quality. We basically talked about this, like you know, it, it, a, a song rarely settles in. It's like a, a hard thump followed by what is a gospel moment. It feels a little incongruous. In addition to being just a weird concept for an album, so I just I can't picture listening to it again, really. But you like it, so what's wrong with you? I, I like three songs okay. largely, mm-hmm. and I said I like it better than Yay. Is it ranking high in my list of Kanye albums? Certainly not. Right. Do I think it's a complete throwaway? No, I don't either. I think it's somewhere right there in the middle, and I think that there really just is not a lot of effort that's been put into it. Right, right, right. Well, Jesus is Born is coming, right? In two months, I think. He's doing a Christmas project. so And a movie that's supposed to come along with Jesus is King. Yes. So we have more content coming. Can I go back to calling him and Kim Kardashian Cancel and Gretel now? Cancel and Gretel? <laughs> <laughs> What's she been up to? I, I, imagine asking. Now you're going to find out. <laughs> I, the music I want to hear from that family is her. When are we going to get the follow-up to Jam? Oh, my wow. God. Yeah, I'm spiraling right now. Why would you bring me to this world? They play in my Jam Jam. <laughs> if she covered Stars Are Blind by Paris Hilton, that would, I think, be the iconic move. But, I mean, I don't want to tell icons how to be iconic, of course. We'll just let her, we'll let her cook. <laughs> let Kim Kardashian cook. You do what you want to do, baby. We'll see it soon. Anyway, when we're back, we'll talk about Game of Thrones again. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Game of Thrones is back in the news. And the headlines... I had just swept it away with my big gay apathy broom. Game of Thrones is showing up at the ball like MC Deborah said, we are always going to be talking about Westeros again and again and again. The winter is always coming. <laughs> the winter is about to do what it has to do. <laughs> Show what the other girls should have did. Uh, David Bidioff and D.B. Weiss... We know the showrunners of Game of Thrones who led it through five very enjoyable seasons and two we shouldn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, two we shouldn't talk about. You'd say the second to last is equally bad. Yeah. I just think we weren't ready for that conversation. Got it. At the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Benioff and Weiss recently reemerged publicly after, I remember, canceling a Comic-Con appearance uh, post the show's finale, which everyone was largely disappointed with they were they were worried they would be set on fire correct yes uh they attended a panel at austin film festival and answered some questions from fans the two were brutally honest and essentially sort of admitted that they never felt that they were fully qualified for the job from the beginning it is very shocking please go through this tweet by tweet (laughs) uh this was documented by a twitter user Named at for Aria, a Stan account. If there was ever a Stan yes. account, yes. <laughs> and Stan account Twitter still freaks me out. I'm sorry. We can talk about this another yes. time. Go ahead. Uh, basically, they talk about why they still aren't sure George R. R. Martin entrusted them with his story, with his world. Uh, the tweets. Uh, some of them are. They describe their pitch and how nervous they were. They pitched to Carolyn Strauss, who has a reputation for being a tough pitch. They were nervous because of how bad we wanted it. Said And David described the pre-meeting with George R.R. R. Martin, who was questioning their bona fides, and they said they really didn't have any. They had never done TV. They didn't have any. We don't know why he trusted us with his life's work. They talk about how they had a pilot that was sort of dismal, and then it went forward, and they think HBO went forward with it because they had a lot of forward pre-sales on the series. And Dan basically says that Game of Thrones was an expensive film school for them. For example, they had no idea how to work with costume designers, and it was a huge learning experience. They wrote all the episodes themselves because they didn't know any better, and HBO wanted them to hire other writers, so they decided to have Brian Cogman, their assistant, write four episodes. They talk about how before the pilot was supposed to air, they realized all the episodes were like too short, and so they had to write extra scenes to pad it out. Which is very weird because one of those scenes is actually one of the best scenes in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this obviously reset um, a lot of flames on Twitter. A lot of people were sharpening their knives again. It just every quote is a different shrug emoji. Yeah. They're just like, I don't know how that happened either. Like, they kept being a new level of, mm-hmm. we were inexperienced and we don't know and uh, we're almost sorry. It was- <laughs> I will argue that in the translation, what seems to be lost is, I think a lot of this is also probably self-deprecating Correct. humor. Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they went up there and were like, hey, fuckers, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> Joke's on you. I think they are feeling a little humbled after the final season and we're just sort of like, listen, we were just, you know, sort of feeling our way through this too, making jokes about it and really just trying to, you know, engage with fans again. Mm -hmm. Which I do appreciate. Um, I think that a lot of the Twitter conversation was, fuck these guys, et cetera, et cetera. And I would argue that the people I'm mad at 
is HBO. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Right? Because I don't blame these two guys for wanting something so badly and then, you know, getting the seizing job, that getting the job yeah. and seizing that opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Any of us would. I think the problem comes from the gatekeepers in Hollywood who give white men like that the opportunity. I was going to say, but imagine not other people. Imagine if my black ass walked into that room and I was like, hey, George R. R. Martin, do you think that like maybe I could write your whole show and like I don't know nothing about it. I've never done any fantasy stuff. He would laugh in my face. But it's just another example of like white male privilege where they can just walk in and be like, yeah, we've never done this, but like we have ideas. So we have really good ideas, dude. Like, <laughs> right, and please. that instills confidence. I did mm-hmm. think what was interesting about this thread was they claimed that HBO wanted them to play down, quote unquote, the fantasy elements of the show, which what is left after that? I mean, like, I guess it is. Uh, th- there are elements of like old costume drama and, you know, uh, I'll, I'll call it uh, straight theater in uh, Game of Thrones. But for the most part, hearing that, I just don't even understand what their original vision was or what they wanted it to look like other than what it was, which was a long Evanescence video. Well, it, <laughs> it does make sense in some part because they leaned into the soapy nature of the show. You know, mm-hmm. it felt very much uh, Dynasty all the time. And you they know, said like, that part of that was they wanted to get to moms and moms stuff. They, and they, like they, mothers, they, NFL players. like And, and like everyone, that's why people watch Succession. It's why Dynasty yeah. was so popular. You know, it's like shows like that, which are basically soaps, but you dress them up in something else, have always been famous since Aaron Spelling was mm-hmm. making that shit work on TV. Right. You know, so they knew they could get people with that, and not everyone's going to jump for a fantasy show. I will say some of that is why it was successful, because most of the attempts to recreate Game of Thrones are just, oh, here's a sci-fi show. Here's a fantasy show because that's what people were watching. It's like when they remade Bewitched as I Dream of Genie, and it's like, oh, is it the kooky witch element we like most about this? No. What is actually good is the down-to-earth, subversive humor of this and not the sort of wild storybook trappings of it. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that that was the initial intention because I feel like once the Night King started showing up and you know the dragons really started being in the story, it felt like it whiplashed into Mm -hmm. oh now you have to do the fantasy because you gotta wrap this shit up yeah and I feel like this also coincides with the two of them getting a deal at Netflix yeah so they have a huge deal at Netflix I think it's rumored something around 250 million yeah Uh, and they are going to be making a lot more projects for Netflix this is continuing Netflix's hiring Uber producers, mm-hmm. um, as the streaming wars have started, you know, because they already have Shonda Rhimes, they have the Obamas, mm-hmm. they have King Embarrass, uh, they have Ryan Murphy, and this deal at Netflix actually now caused them to pull out of the new Star Wars trilogy that they were planning to make. Um, they had this whole deal that was announced earlier this year with Lucasfilm, and they announced this week on Monday that they had pulled out because they felt that their time commitments at Netflix would distract them from creating a Star Wars. In my opinion, we needed just three more movies to tie up that whole thing to really get to the end of it. (laughs) Isn't there one coming out in this like later this year? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's an April. Not my vibe. The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, the Rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. They need to chill. They're done. And, (laughs) And Carrie Fisher is still a little bit in it, which is frightening to me. All in all, it just makes me think of how we need to support people who aren't white men in the industry, right? You know, I mean, our friend Kyle Buchanan recently did this article with the New York Times about black directors of the 90s, like Julie Dash, Maddie Rich, Darnell Martin, Ernest Dickerson, Leslie Harris, and Theodore Witcher on basically how, like, in the 90s when there was a black boom of, like, successful black directors making black films, and then if their second film wasn't a hit or didn't sound like the first thing that they were doing or didn't sound like something that they wanted to make that was like hood and black or like mm-hmm. hip-hop related or whatever, they were basically shuttered off and put in like film jail and their careers didn't continue to prosper in the way that someone like a Spike Lee or someone who survived in the 80s and 90s did, right? Right. And it's you have so many examples of female directors uh, and writers who experience that too. And unfortunately for uh, Benioff and Weiss, they've become sort of the poster boys of 
two white men who were just handed the keys to a multi-billion dollar franchise mm-hmm. and allowed to stumble their way into success. Right. Yeah. Um, that just reminds me, I'm going to throw in a shout out to the director, Deborah Granick, who in 2010 directed a movie called Winter's Bone, which was Jennifer Lawrence's breakout, her first Oscar yes. nomination. Yes. And then she did nothing for forever after that until she did a movie called Leave No Trace last year, or yeah, this past year. Uh, which stars this uh, young actress, Thomas and McKenzie and Ben Foster. And that is another uh, yeah. top 20 film of this decade. Mm-hmm. It's like, how is this person who is so gifted and so specific in her vision? Give all well- the roses to basically anyone who Ben Foster decides to work with, by the yeah. way. Because I feel like he always pops up in a sort of indie movie that is always very good and gets ignored. Right. He was also, I saw him in A Streetcar Named Desire as Stanley Kowalski. I guess he can do anything. He's also <laughs> hot. Okay, we can talk about that another time. But anyway, no, you're no, right. I loved him in the remake of The Mechanic, for instance. Right, 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 that right, That was right. so fucking good, and it was a Jason Statham movie that didn't feel so much like a Jason Statham movie. Uh, anyway, I'm not as angry at... Benioff and Weiss, as I feel like a lot of the fans are online because I pretty much moved on from Game of Thrones and thinking about it. But I will say that it is a sort of reminder of who Hollywood rewards and who it doesn't. If anything, I think that um, these men are probably scared to do the trilogy. I mean, if I'm doing the math in my head, $250 maybe, compared to billions of dollars like the billion dollar franchise that is the Star Wars trilogy and the Star Wars franchise in general, I just feel like they realize that they're probably not up to it. They're shook. It is easier to fumble your way through a Netflix series at this point, to be honest, because mm-hmm. what Netflix doesn't release ratings, for one. If a Star Wars movie fails, you know that yeah. you're failing. If a Netflix series fails... It falls to the end Net- of the queue. Right? And <laughs> and uh, Netflix can still maybe pretend it was a hit. <laughs> Do we really know how many people were actually watching The Politician? I, love, for how I much- feel like more people watch Tall Girl. Right, yeah. No, I'm, I had a friend who worked at Hulu once who was telling me about one particular series over there. And the numbers for this particular show were so low. And I realized... Wow, if that got out, that would be completely crazy. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. wow, there's this like North Korea like shroud over these things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, good luck, boys. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too worried. Go ahead. Good luck, you rich white men. <laughs> <laughs> when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. I've decided to agree with you. I guess it is my favorite segment oh, of the 100%. episode. Oh, okay. yeah. 100%. Yeah. Aida agrees. We're in it. A hundred and one episodes now. Can't be wrong, Lewis. All right. I finally decided to sign on. <laughs> <laughs> what is your Keep It this week, Lewis? I've decided to pick a cute one uh, for the Halloween holiday. You sound excited about it. I know. It. <laughs> I can't wait for it. Um, it is candy-themed. This is like something you'd hear John Lovett say on Love It or Leave It. I apologize. You know, he still wears his like footy pajamas out to the improv and people go and see him. (laughs) My keep it this week is to the layer of sweat that forms on a Reese's peanut butter cup. First of all, no other candy sweats. I'm sorry. You open up one of these candies and it's like the candy has sneezed. It's vile. And also, we're not in a culture where it's like pizza, where actually there's a universe of acceptable dabbing to the top of the surface where you can then consume it. No, everybody in history opens the sweaty Reese's peanut butter cup and then fucking eats it. And now you have, what is this, chocolate mucus all over your mouth? It's vile. And also, it disturbs what is a perfect mix, right? It's all about the milk chocolate. It's all about the peanut butter. It's not about viscous goo. It just goes to a Ghostbusters place. This sort of oozy thing that you have to deal with on a Halloween. It's always at the bottom of the candy bag, so you're already disappointed that you've eaten this much, and it's an old Reese's peanut butter cup, and then you open it, and it, you know, is a little wet. Wet candy, it's gross for me. Aida, I think I've disturbed you. I believe this to be the most unrelatable keep it I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) There have been a few of those, so that's a tall order. I have never opened a Reese's cup and found sweat 
perspiration. And even if it had been sweating, peanut butter is working, okay? (laughs) (laughs) That is the best candy out there. No, well, you live a blessed life if you haven't seen what I'm talking about. Because what happens is you open the cup and there's like a slight indentation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then there's like a dew there. You 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 must have grew up in a place where they had yours cleaned for you because mine were always <laughs> needed to be mopped. <laughs> is, is your candy just melted? I think uh, yes, I guess it's slightly melted, but in a way like if you open a candy bar, it's just like slightly runny or it just got on the wrapper or something like this. I'm telling you, you open a Reese's pieces in Canada, you can get them in packs of 3. I don't know what they're doing there. But you open them. <laughs> you put it to your mouth and it's just it's uh, it's already saliva colored for you anyway. I just think it's a candy that needs to be better preserved because it's my favorite. Also, Reese's Pieces are my favorite too. Though I think if you eat too many of those, you get a headache. Mm. I think that people just need to respect the best Halloween candy, which is a Butterfinger. I disagree. I think mm, it's a wrong. gross candy. Why is it that color? Wrong. Why are my molars full when I eat one, I right. don't like it. I don't because like it has so much love to give. No, Aida. she's doing too much. Is she's, what she's doing doing what the other candy bars should have did. Snickers done. Uh, that's what Ow. I'm saying. Well, that's where Snickers. I live. What do you mean, fuck, fuck a, Snickers? a Snickers? I just heard well, a was... Milky Way with less ingredients. <laughs> no, with more ingredients. What's in the Snickers? I love Nuts. a nougat. Yeah, but, nougat. nougat. But the Milky Way has all of the planets. Nougat almost rhymes with get it. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Yeah. Gina Rodriguez loves saying nougat. <laughs> and Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was really good. Keep it. Um, anyway, uh, Reese's, thank you so much. Um, stop with all the pus in my mouth. All right. <laughs> um, my keep it is to, first let me give you some backstory. So Facebook is trying to launch with a bunch of other companies, Libra, which is a cryptocurrency that is decentralized and supposed to be the new wave, right? My keep it is to that already, too, because I don't want my aunt and my mom having access to cryptocurrency at all. It's a nefarious idea. Nope, nope. No, it's the richest, one of the richest men in the world trying to appeal to some of the stupidest people on the planet. Sorry if you're still using Facebook. But anyway, moving on. So my, but my real keep it is to Mark Zuckerberg's face. Sure. Just his face in general. He has the emotional capacity of a packing peanut. I don't like that man at all. What would you say is most disappointing about it, just in, in an illustration level? The hair, that he's, he's since cut it, but he's got these waxy little curls. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. And also beady little eyes. There's something going on there. You know, you know, if you're that unattractive, I'm sure you have time to invent Facebook. Though. He does. I mean, at once upon a time, you know, we talked about this before. We kind of considered him some uh, sort of underdog, a mm-hmm. victor. Now he just looks like a mean crash test on me to me. <laughs> Did you see that they made a wax of him for the Madame Tussaud? The Wax Museum? And of course it was. I mean, this is Much. like a Johnny Carson joke. More lifelike than the real thing. Yes, yeah, 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 exactly. That's my also slam to Johnny Carson. Take that. <laughs> my keep it this week is to the motherfucking MTA. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was in New York last week. Likewise. Speak yes. on it. Uh, we all were. Yeah. Surprise. We, sh- we did last episode in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was trying to get on the MTA to, I needed a new subway card. And, you know, you got to go up to the machine, you got to put money in it, you got to tap the screen. The screen was not fucking working. I kept tapping. You sound 87 years old. And it wasn't working. No. I've seen on Twitter now people sharing videos of the fact that those screens are not working. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, I did have a similar experience now that you mentioned. I had to, like, move to another machine. You have to move to another one. And then there's the ones where there's, like, two machines in it and they're not working. Or there's a fucking long line. Or one's just credit. One's just cash. You're like, I don't have neither. And you go to the booth. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Maybe you do need cryptocurrency. You're supposed to jump the turnstiles. That's what you're supposed to do. Well, so they try to tell you to go to tellers. Uh, to help you, but the tellers are like, that's not my problem. And they tell you not to jump the turnstile because, you know, you get a fine for it. And the MTA... They tell you that, yeah, you shouldn't do it. Okay. Well, but Cuomo also, this sort of Orwellian attack on fair beating is also out of control Mm -hmm. because they keep trying to push this number that they've lost 250 million in revenue what a stupid for fair beating i don't believe it no and they uh, fix the fucking subway system that's what you need to do then you'll be making more money people aren't taking the subway 
because it's impossible to get a fucking subway card and it is impossible to get anywhere when your train's not fucking running on time. I was trapped on an F train for 20 minutes that Mm -hmm. just wasn't fucking moving. And then I think we've all seen this viral video this week of, what was it, like almost 30 cops swarming someone for skipping the fare. A fare was fucking 275. All these cops drawing guns. Like, it is insane. And they keep getting more cops to be on the MTA, and they keep having them positioned by turnstiles to sort of deter people fair beating. And it's, this is turning into lunacy, mm-hmm. is what it is. Yeah. The machine's not working. What the fuck am I supposed to be doing? Interestingly, though, interestingly though uh, this is the first year in a long time that there's been an uptick in users on the MTA mm. after years of a decline. But uh, yeah, that video is horrifying. It's horrifying. Yeah. The MTA is I didn't is know horrifying. it was for fair beating. Yeah. I thought he did something that was actually punishable. Right. They later said that they had reports that someone had a gun, but when have you ever trusted a cop? Never, no. Mm. The only cop I trust is Bonkers, the Bobcat. What did you do in New York that was fun? You know what? I saw the new Mary Louise Parker play, and if you want to see a trembling woman nail a nervous academic role, you got to go see Mary Louise Parker in The Sound Inside. I, I saw You the were there n- for much longer than I was. I was only there for a day. Oh, Came yeah. in, shot, left. So mm, I was there for a week. Yeah. I, saw, I saw Slave Play. Oh, yeah. It was great. I saw Oklahoma, which was sexy. I also saw Oklahoma, and I am on the fence about that, but go ahead. <sighs> I would like to be on Curly. Oh, God. He can be a fence. Poor Lewis. White picket fence. <laughs> Poor Lewis is dead after listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I saw my friend uh, Jay Armstrong Johnson in Scotland, PA, the musical. I meant to see it. I love him. Yeah, which was which was very fun. Yeah. It was it was it was whimsical. It's based on Macbeth. It's based on a movie starring Christopher Walken. It's a good time. And it was good. It was a good time. Yeah. All right, so, we'll go back soon. Whatever. Good weeks. Yeah. Anyway, New York. Love the city. Hate Hate the subway. subway. (laughs) Rad new take. It's never been stated before, and you finally articulated it. Uh, I'm listen. I'm gonna start going. I'm gonna start going. Charles Bronson and Death Wish on the subway. Oh my god! Now you're speaking my language. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, that's our show. Thanks for keeping it. If you did, in fact, keep it. You're all invited to keep it along with us. Mm -hmm. It's a play at home game. Get petty. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess, the one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 